Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. Today uh, is going to be an interesting episode because we have with us Hannah Babineau, who is the head of partnerships at a company called Data Appeal. I'm excited about this interview because there's so much happening in the world of data over the last years. And, and so here we, today we have someone who's kind of at the forefront of that, uh, really you know, working with big companies, organizations, uh, at the, the mass of data that, is, uh, uh, that we're drowning in and helping us make sense of that. So welcome to the show, Hannah. Um, great to have you here. Please take a second to introduce yourself, and then let's get right straight into data appeal and, and what it is you you and your team do. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Ed. Hi, everyone. My name is Hannah Babineau, as you mentioned, and I work for a company called Data Appeal. Um, I always kind of preface it by saying you might have heard of sex appeal or curb appeal, so kind of apply that same logic to data. We really take a qualitative approach to geospatial data. Um, to understand kind of the perception and reputation of places, of brands, and essentially the, the visitor experience. What, what is the exact use case, or, I, or do you do many different things? But like, give, it, give us your standard, who is your customer, and, and what are you doing for them or with them? Definitely, yeah. I'll take a step back and say you can kind of think of our data in three different layers. So the first for us, or the, the base of the data, is geospatial points of interest. So it's called POI, points of interest, location, but essentially it's understanding what's actually located in a, in a territory or in our destination. This could be anything like a shopping mall to a hotel, but even small things like a monument, an ATM machine, an EV charger, etc. So what are the dynamics, what's happening geographically in, in a city, in a, you know, any territory? And then we enrich that information. So with the name of the place, the industry, the category, coordinates, things like opening hours, like characterization. So if it's a restaurant, what's the cuisine type? Is there parking on site? Is it handicap accessible? Uh, you know, can you reserve birthday parties there? Uh, any, you know, kind of the whole gamut. If it's a hotel, how many rooms there are? What are the average prices? What's the occupancy for any given month, any given day? And then kind of that next layer, which kind of makes this quite unique, is this qualitative piece. On one side, it's we call it sentiment. So we've developed a sentiment score that essentially semantically analyzes reviews and social media and feedback from over 130 different channels. So of course, there's you know the Googles, the TripAdvisors, the Facebooks, but there's also really industry-specific ones. Um, for example, like the camping industry has their own like camping review channel where people can review campsites. Obviously, food and beverage is a hot one. There's anything from you know Yelp. TripAdvisor, The Fork, to, you know, like Deliveroo, Just Eat. So what's people's experiences with the delivery of a certain restaurant? And then kind of the flip side of that is what we call popularity. So that for us is, it's a nice proxy for footfall or mobility data. So how busy a place is. So it's one thing, okay, what's the sentiment? Maybe you can see there's like, people love it. It's five stars out of five stars, but maybe that's made up of two reviews. So that's not really telling the full story versus a restaurant or, you know, a retail shop that has 10,000 reviews, maybe with a score of 90 out of 100, though that scores less, it's telling a much bigger story that this place is, you know, a lot more, a lot more popular. So we look at the amount of content. So how many reviews, check-ins, social posts, anything that's essentially geolocated to these points of interest. 
And then kind of the lastly, we always say no business is an island. So essentially we know what happens in a destination impacts each and every one of these businesses. So we look at things like flight data. So who's coming in, hotel data, what are the prices doing? What are the seasonality trends of cities of, you know, how that might impact a brand and like things like spending and events. So that's kind of the, the spiel, if you will, of the makeup of the data. And then, and then, the, so what? Then you you're collecting, aggregating, deduplicating, cleaning all this data, and then you sell the data. Is that the business model? Is that, exactly, is that... exactly. Yeah. So we always say we never sell raw data because everything that we're collecting is aggregated from hundreds and hundreds of different sources. So we essentially provide the data in three main ways. One is like a CSV file, so like really cut and dry. We just want to know maybe all the hotels in the city of London, what's their address, their sentiment score, and their popularity. Then we have some companies that integrate the data through an API. So those might be some like platforms that help hotels or help restaurants maybe manage their, their bookings, their reservation system. And they have kind of cherry picked some of the KPIs that are most relevant for them. So what is their sentiment score and how does that compare against their 10 main competitors in, in their neighborhood? So essentially they're just picking the, the data that's most relevant for them. And then kind of the, the third way is we've also developed a platform called DAI Destination that's a little bit more geared for tourism industry that allows kind of destination managers to see how is my city performing, who's coming in, because with all the sentiment info, we also have their origin. So maybe, you know, a great example, I'm based in Italy. What do French people coming into the city of Florence think about the city? What are their preferred hotels, their preferred restaurants? Are they, you know, more apt to go to museums, go hiking, go wine tasting? And essentially by kind of really understanding that information broken down at a source level or a user origin level, you can really create a campaign or strategy that's a little bit more tailor-made for them. Okay, so lots of questions on it. So so first <laughs> of all, you're doing this, you're doing this for the whole world, right? I mean, this is not just for the whole, one. Okay. Yeah, the whole world has been fully mapped. It's around like 300 million POIs. Yeah, well, that was going to be our next question. Give us some, some give us some numbers to think about the sort of scale of this, of, of and you know, so three hundred million POIs. But how, how? I mean, that's massive. Where are you getting all that data from, and how are you keeping it fresh? Yeah, yeah. So I also that's kind of the the tricky part. So because it is so much data, and it's not just the POIs, it's the sentiment, the opening hours, you know, the popularity, all of the reviews that come with it. So I will say we typically update everything once or twice a year. If we have clients that have a use case that requires more frequent updates, we do that as a use case basis. So some of our clients update it monthly. We even have some that update things daily through the API. That's typically when a smaller amount of data is required. So maybe at a brand level, a really good example is like Best Western. They're one of our first clients and essentially they update the data daily through an API just for some of the top KPIs. How are their hotels performing and how are their top competitors performing? And how, what about the kind of real-time data about like popularity and things like that? How are you, how are you getting that data? Yeah, again, lots of different sources. So we, as I mentioned earlier, track about, it's 132, I think the number is now. We're always looking to find more channels, but we're looking at those amount of reviews. So typically we, we say it's near real-time because of course, maybe we go out to a restaurant tonight, we review it tomorrow. So there's always a bit of a lag. We're continuously updating the data that we get from these channels, um, usually once or twice a day. 
But again, the nature, I think, of the feedback economy is that it's not always immediate. I think Google now is doing like push notifications that, you know, just give a, a rating, not a review. So we're seeing a lot more ratings without context, which is super helpful. But again, it, it does lack a bit of contextual. So why was it a three out of five? That That's a big question, you know. Why is it good? Is, you know, was the staff rude? Was it dirty? Was, you know, did it too expensive? So having that additional aspect of the text it is always really helpful. Okay, well, um, okay, so I think we've established there's a lot of data, but this gets to to a point that uh, that I've been kind of pondering over the last couple of years, and that is, you know, I can, I can well remember 20 years ago when the challenge was, you know, how can we get data, you know, be it, be it geographic data, you know, things like, like OpenStreetMap were in its infancy. And, and it, was, it was really difficult to actually just get geographic data uh, or things like, you know, where, where are people, how are they spending their time, you know, and now everyone has a phone which can, can be used to, to get that data and stuff. And so now it feels like the equation is kind of flipped, right? And we've gone from being like, there is no data to we are absolutely drowning in data. Yeah. Um, and and the question becomes, you know, what how can I how can I actually make use of this data and clean it up and figure out which is which which bits of the data are are just noise and which is actually a useful signal and and how can I then also turn that signal into into action? And I guess this must be a big part of the part of what you guys do in terms of helping your customers actually make use of the data in a useful way. So maybe you can take us through some of the, the challenges and techniques and, and how you're going about all this. Definitely, definitely. So I will say it probably depends on the use case, kind of the applications of that data. Um, but essentially, that's what we've set up. We always say our mission is to simplify and democratize data. So essentially, we don't want to give you hundreds and millions of rows and columns that you have to make sense of. We want to kind of do the work behind. We use a lot of AI solutions. Our parent company is a leader in the artificial intelligence industry. So we really want to be the best at the data in order to give you kind of the, the best experience while using it. So we're definitely not a consultancy um, in that respect. So we're not kind of taking it that next step further to create an action plan, but we're giving those actionable insights for companies to then kind of take it and run. On kind of some interesting sides, we've... We work a lot with indexes. That's a huge part of our business is, okay, how can we apply this data to, towards these different use cases? So some big ones that we're seeing a lot is like LGBTQ perception and inclusivity or accessibility. So based on the content, we're able to kind of find keywords, find the sentiment or the satisfaction associated with these keywords to say, okay, this is a city or this is a neighborhood that is LGBTQ friendly or where it is accessible. Also by looking, you know, we do scraping of different websites, different channels. So do they write, you know, is it, is it gay friendly? Is it handicap accessible? So all these various kind of data that we're finding, we're able to apply different scores at either a point of interest level. So really specifically, so, you know, maybe your Starbucks downtown or really look holistically. What is the city of London doing in terms of accessibility? Where are the zones that we're seeing more complaints or maybe more praise for, you know, maybe they're building more ramps or things like that. So that's kind of one application that we're focusing a lot now, especially within tourism, um, but also a bit with like consumer goods. So one of our big customers is Campari, if you're familiar with Aperol Spritz. Yes. Okay. So essentially they want to know where can we sell Aperol for the new markets? 
So essentially, they have asked us, hey, give me all the restaurants, all the hotels, all the nightclubs, the bars that match their target market. So take away pubs, take away, you know, like nightclubs that, you know, are two o'clock at night, uh, you know, and on. So for them, it's that happy hour, that perfect happy hour time. So usually places that we see high popularity and high sentiment between kind of the hours of like 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. So from there, we're kind of able to really fine tune. And then they want to say, okay, which ones are the best in terms of like gay friendliness? So they can create campaigns targeting those those restaurants or those venues to, you know, I don't know kind of if you're seeing it, but like the umbrellas with the, the marketing material, sometimes they do pop-up events for the spritz experience. So that's one really cool use case that we've seen. What is your impression? Are companies are, are big are usually working with the, the companies themselves or via agencies that are kind of specialists in working with data? I mean, is you know, I, I feel like I feel like there's a, a bit of a lag between, you know, we now have all this data, but do we have the cultural sophistication to actually make use of the data? And and I feel like very often you see things that I feel like we haven't quite made the leap yet there. Yeah, and you yeah. see things that are just like, oh, this doesn't really make sense. Or, um, you know, just because we can, that doesn't mean we should. Or, you know, is it, <laughs> is this really be done effectively? How do you see that as someone on the front line there? So for me, I, I do see there is a bit of a shift in terms of geography. So the more northern Europe you go, the, the more sophisticated or data literate they are. They typically have teams dedicated for for data or for research, or even some might have market research um, that really take that that kind of perfect balance between marketing and data. Um, so that you know is where we see a bit more direct sales or direct kind of conversations between our company and theirs. On the flip side, we do see kind of maybe more Mediterranean countries or kind of Eastern European that are just starting on their journey. And typically that's when we see a middleman kind of kind of come between us to take the data and then really apply it. So we work with a lot of different partners. If you're familiar with Carto, they have an office in, in London. They essentially have created an amazing visualization for location intelligence. So essentially they're taking our data and, and literally mapping it out and able to really play geographically to like highlight the areas or the neighborhoods or the stores to, to, you know, build a new hospital, build a new hotel, distribute products, you know, whether it's like Zara, you know, they want to open a new store, but on the flip side, like companies like Lavazza who sells coffee, they're now entering markets that you, you know, wouldn't probably think of like for them, like hotels. That was kind of two years ago where we saw a lot of company coffee companies are starting to distribute in hotels and really trying to have kind of that luxury market. Now we're seeing like hospitals, um, gyms, like the vending machines for for kind of those coffee companies. Any any uh, particular industries that you think are doing are, are utilizing data, uh, geographic data, in a better better way than others, or that are really at the forefront? Yeah, I'd definitely say consumer goods and, and retail apparel. They're spending a lot of money um, because I think after, hopefully I can say after COVID, it's been, it's been three years now. So I think kind of what we saw with, with COVID, obviously a lot more people were shopping online. Now people are starting to return and it's really important to have an in-store experience that speaks to your visitors. So a lot of these companies are investing a lot to have a store in the perfect location um, and that also kind of relates to outdoor advertising. So we're seeing kind of that pickup is like this out of home media space. So 
where should I build my store? Where should I put my billboard to, to announce it? So kind of using that geof- geographic side. So, you know, maybe a good example is like Nike opens a new store in this prime location. Where are they going to put their billboard? Maybe it doesn't make sense to have it in like the main square. Like if you were thinking of New York City, okay, Times Square, obviously people see it, it's really visible, but it costs a lot. Maybe it would make more sense to spend a little bit less and do two billboards near like big gyms. So like what are the most popular gyms or, you know, it depends if they're doing campaigns, maybe like university students, put it near colleges, put it near co-working spaces. So a lot of people are kind of shifting that mindset. So it's not just the quantity who sees it, but it's the quality. Are they actually people that will buy my, my products? Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. What about another question that I often have around this kind of POI data and things and, um, you know, is, is not just how do you keep it fresh, but but the, the chain, you know, so so you are aggregating the data. So for someone collects this data, you aggregate it from them, merge it, you pass it on to your customers. At some point, let's say someone way down that chain notices there's an error or, some, or something that needs to be corrected. How do you how do you get the correction back? That's the piece that I think is often yeah. very difficult and very cumbersome, and that you know as a community we haven't yet built. You know, it's always it's it's sometimes often very unclear what is the ultimate source of truth, and you know how are we going to get back to that and make the correction right? How do, how do you how do you grapple with that? Yeah, yeah. So I'll say on the cleaning side, we spend a lot, we invest a lot of time and resources into cleaning it to make sure there's no duplicates. Um, we're seeing a lot now for categorization. So there's some industries or some categories of POIs that really could fall in different places. Sometimes you might see a hair salon that also does nails. So you're like, okay, is, is it, it can't be both. Like you can't count it twice. So in that case, you know, we do a lot of work. How is it, how is it typically marketed on social media? Like what kind of promotions do they sell? And like, how is it legal, the legal entity? So that's why cross-referencing for us is so vital. Um, another thing that we're seeing right now is like wineries. So is it a winery part of agriculture? Is it a entertainment attraction venue? Is it a restaurant type of eating place? Because it's, it's really, again, all three. All, so yeah. really working on, yeah, so the, the best type of categorization. So, of course, you know, winery itself is its own category, but then what industry does that fall under? So that's kind of the, not the, the it's, it's a fun challenge, but it's an opportunity to us also to learn because it also depends on a use case. So maybe someone who wants to, you know, grow a vineyard, for them it's more, we want to know where all the agriculture-related POIs are like orchards and gardens and things like that. Others might say, Hey, more commercially, I want to open a and next to some wineries. So they want to know a bit more on like that attraction entertainment side. Maybe you could share with us a bit, um, some of the, some of the advances over the recent years in terms of AI, in terms of things like categorization or how, how are you guys using AI and what, how are people in the industry using AI and, and what do you, what do you think that kind of, implies for the industry. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you know, you read some things where people are like, oh, you know, AA will solve this, which sounds great until you actually try to use the tools and then you're like, this, this isn't solved at all. You know, we're just making more of a mess here. So what's your impression? 
To me, I always say, for me, AI is like the red thread. Essentially, you see it interwoven and it's really integral and everything, but it's definitely not the foundation by any means. I mean, you have to really have the foundation of the data itself, the tech team who's working it. But AI, of course, is able to facilitate and make things a lot more effective and efficient. We are early adapters, I'll say, of AI. So back when the company started, we used a lot of like natural language processing and sentiment analysis because, of course, the reviews that come in are written in multiple languages. Then there's also things like sense of humor, puns, irony. So using that machine and essentially just teaching it as it goes. So also that kind of aligns with your earlier question. We do, we always say our sentiment analysis is about 97, 98% accurate because of course there are some people might use sarcasm and they might not pick it up. Um, Like it really depends how it's written. So we always ask users, you know, when they see these snippets or these fragments, like let us know. So we do have kind of uh, an ability to respond say, hey, this is actually isn't how it should be. It doesn't happen often, but, you know, a couple times a year, the engine might pick something up or read something that it deems positive when on the other side it's not. Um, so that's definitely, I think AI is only helping facilitate that to make it as accurate and human as possible. And then on the flip side, we're doing a lot, obviously, with ChatGP, I think, like most companies, to how can we leverage it um, in a simple way? Because at the end of the day, our our users aren't buying the AI, they're, they're buying the insights that are derived from the data. So we, with our platform for destinations, we're working on an integration to say, I want to create a campaign for this source market. Let me know. So that machine will then take the data from flights, the data from hotel bookings, the data from the the sentiment, the points of interest to create a perfect marketing campaign to say, these are the best channels to do it. Maybe invest in booking.com. Don't invest in Air France, you know, if you're the city of Paris, based on kind of these source markets and where we see different visitors coming in. What I mean, one reaction I've seen over the last couple of months uh, is now some companies are starting to get nervous about their data being used to train AIs, right? And um, and so they're trying to, you know, again hide the data or or stop from being crawled and things like that. What, what's your take on that? You do you think this is going to become more common, or do you and people are going to become increasingly protective of their data, or or is that just kind of a, a short term knee jerk reaction as people? become more comfortable with this technology? I think it definitely depends on the the type of data. So we're lucky that nothing that we deal with is is personal information. Um, Because we're based on like a geography level, it's always, you know, public open data. We do have some use cases, maybe for example, like an accountant firm or you're a graphic designer and your company is your name, like, you know, Hannah Babano Incorporated. Then we kind of run into, is this personal information? But on the flip side, it is public, it is registered. So these are kind of some of the issues that we see starting to pop up, like if names are used, but if that name is your business name, you know, it's like Gucci or Chanel, at the end of the day, those those are names. So we feel pretty confident that, you know, obviously we're based in Italy, so for us, GDPR is fundamental. It's in everything that we do. So we don't release any personal information, but definitely I think there's a lot of companies out there that, are starting to see the risks. Um, maybe they're located in areas, I know like the, the US, for instance, doesn't have the same privacy policies that we do in Europe. So I think they, on one side, it's nice that because they can sell a lot more, but then they start to see the pushback. 
Yes, I do feel like there's starting to be more pushback as well. And, and you can remember, I guess it's five years now since GDPR came out, and at the time people were like, oh, "This is this is terrible. It's you know, it's going to break everything." And now, you know, more and more, I, at least my American friends and contacts kind of start to appreciate that the the European or let's say a more conservative approach to uh, to data sharing and and um, what. What, one big challenge in this in this realm, Hannah, is that it seems like there's so much happening. I mean, be, of course, with AI, but just you know, there, there are continually new data sets being released. I mean, now we have the uh, you know a couple of weeks ago the Overture Maps Foundation released this huge set of, of POI data, um, and you know, there's just so much happening. How how can listeners any stay on top of this? Like, what 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 tools are you are, are you as an organization using to like? To, to not drown in, in all the new technologies, all the new data sets, all the uh, techniques? What, how, how, you know, what should people be doing? Yeah, I think, I mean, understand what their goals are um, and not feel like they have to buy everything. They have to jump on the bandwagon of every new technology. Um, I think ChatGP was a great example at the beginning. I think everyone was scared and then now everyone uses it for everything. Like, you know, give me a recipe so I think don't I, companies just don't have to feel obligated to use everything that comes out. Really understand what makes sense for their company, what their mission is. Uh, you know, if you are working with mobility data, maybe don't worry about adding on spending. If you know you're seeing all these new trends with spending data and transactions, really focus on what you're best at because I think at the end of the day, that's what people want. They want the the best of the best and not kind of ish quality of, of everything. And I think that's why partnerships are so, so important with, between companies like ours, because, you know, we know what we're good at and, and that's that qualitative sentiment aspect. Um, and we have a lot of projects where people might need like dwell times or, the, you know, actual people in a city. And, you know, for that, we rely on strategic partnerships with whether that's a telco or a more kind of app-based mobility data provider, just because we want to stay with what we're good at and not feel like we have to be everywhere doing everything. Okay, very very cool, and I appreciate uh, to get the perspective of someone kind of at the at the forefront of the data revolution and uh, very useful. Hopefully, we can get you or or one of your colleagues at an actual GeoMob event in the near future. Uh, um, any any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with as we wrap up here? Yeah, I mean, I think just embrace data. It's not going away anytime soon by any means. Um, but as I mentioned, don't don't feel like you have to do everything and, and be overwhelmed by all the technologies out there, all the types of data. I mean, there's some marketplaces with thousands and thousands of different types, and it can be really overwhelming. So just really understand what the goals are and really try to kind of find the solution that aligns with those the best instead of really trying to, to do everything. Very nice. Thank you. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more? Definitely. Yeah. Feel free um, to reach out on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Hannah Babineau out there. Um, if not, my email address is my, my first name, Hannah dot, my last name, Babineau at dataappeal.io. Very nice. We will, of course, make sure to get all that into the show notes. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Hannah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. 
You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon.